0: Hiya, Duncan Green here with the weekly summary of posts on From Poverty to Power. Stumbling towards the holidays. I've got next week off. Uh, Holidays in in lockdown aren't exactly exciting, but I guess there will be some gardening and some walking in the countryside if it's not raining and a bit of painting, a bit of mahjong. But anyway, it'll involve not spending time on computers and not spending my life doing emails. So that's pretty good. Um, uh, before then i better just wrap up uh, on what's been going on on the blog and it's been a pretty interesting week from my point of view we started off in a very traditional way with the links i liked uh, although it's a fairly pessimistic and sort of rage strewn links i liked. maybe it's a sign that i need a holiday um anger about the state of the debate on covid vaccines the you know the crude politics of either opposing of, of, of supporting patents, uh, you know, and, and stopping knowledge being spread that can save lives. Um, the com- the countries with all the pharmaceutical companies, surprise, surprise, are the ones defending the patent regime. And the countries without the pharmaceutical companies, especially the poor countries, are the ones that want it over- overturned. Um, really awful um, revelations on what's going on in Tigray at the moment. Um with the uh the the war yeah you know, the conflict in between Ethiopia and Tigray with Eritrea into the mix uh, an amazing series of reports from Jamal Osman um uh, Channel 4 News uh, which I think is going to win prizes it's been a, a really amazing piece of journalism um and then the third thing which just made me very angry was just the incredibly, incredibly blatant um twisting of priorities. So, you know, nukes versus nurses. The, the British government has decided to spend $10, million, $10 billion more on nukes. And then it turns around and says, sorry, nurses who've just had the most extraordinarily awful year looking after COVID patients, you can only have a 1% rise in your wages because there's no money. And what's, what's bizarre, and at the same time, we, we're going to cut aid by five billion because there's no money. So when is there? why is there money sometimes and not other times? But what's frustrating is that pointing that out appears to have no traction at all. You just sound like an embittered lefty. And I, I, I'm frustrated by the, the the way that they've been able to get away with this. And no one's really called it out very successfully. But at least my students are standing up and doing some great activism. And there are some more positive links on links I liked to some of the amazing things they're doing. Um, uh, in in the UK and in real life as well. They've spilled over from a course on activism to just taking it live and not waiting for the end of the course, which I think is wonderful. The next two posts this week were a kind of painful but brilliant farewell. Uh, So for the last two years, Maria Faciolinti has been working with me on From Poverty to Power. She's been running a project called Power Shifts, funded by uh, Ford Foundation and Hewlett Foundation in the States, to bring in a greater diversity of voices, to bring in a greater greater diversity of ways of communicating about development issues. And it's been amazing working with Maria. I mean, we're chalk and cheese in many ways. She's young. I'm old. She's female. I'm male. She's an anthropologist. I'm, I suppose, a physicist or something. Um, Very different. She's visual. I'm Text based, so it's been an amazing experience working with her. I've learned a lot. I, I still can't draw, but um, uh, I've, I've learned a huge amount. And she has put up a, uh, a really interesting set of posts. She's put up two this week, and there's more to come next week, where she's got visual artists to do a kind of visual narrative of some of the issues around power shifts. So I'll just read out her introduction to an amazing piece of work by a collage artist for this week. The development space is fixated on the written word. We are inundated by a constant flow of reports, research papers, figures, strategic frameworks, the literature. Behind every new buzzword and piece of jargon is a faith that to change words is to change the world. Yet we keep coming back to the same sobering realisation, concepts are not enough. I wanted to, the I being Maria, I wanted to approach this challenge from a place of play and creative collaboration. In particular, I wanted to reach out to visual artists to find new ways of building bridges across formats. In the midst of such uncertainty and overlapping crises, we need artists like never before to help us reflect, creatively reimagine, and bring to life a vision for radically better futures. The result of this collaboration is our very own Virtual Gallery for Shifting Power, an initiative with two artists that aimed to capture the lessons and teachings cultivated over the two years of the PowerShift project. For this first exhibit called Development, a Visual Story of Shifting Power, I collaborated with Colombian collage artist Hansel Obando. Together, we wanted to tell the story of development from its origin to its current challenge, from its contradictions to its possible horizons. Our guiding principles were the twin notions of decolonization and intersectionality, moving away from the unequal power structures that reinforced legacies of colonialism and advancing explicitly anti-racist and feminist agendas. And at this point, I have to stop talking because this is a visual piece of work and there's nothing I can do on a podcast to tell you what, how brilliant it is. But I think his collages are amazing and I just found them a total revelation. Um, also a bit of a revelation in the comments it provoked. There's been a fierce debate on, in the comments. Um, I think it's 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 got to a few people and I think some of the topics, a lot of people absolutely raving about the, the collages and love them. Other people taking exception to the language, saying the language is, um, uh, is too arcane, too obscure, too jargon filled. Um, and then people replying and it all got very heated and enjoyable. And I think there's a lot to be learned from the comments and an enormous amount to be learned from the post itself. So do go and have a look at those, those two. We did the first one in English and the second one in Spanish as both Maria and uh, Ansel are native Spanish speakers. And then final post of the week, we came back to text-based stuff and more anger. This one is about, is the UK diverting COVID vaccines from poorer countries? And it's a guest post by Rory Horner from the University of Manchester and Ken Shadlin, a colleague of mine at the LSE who got in touch to say, you know, we don't know what's going on. Can we write about it? And I'll just read out some of the the excerpts which give the core of their story. Various UK media reports have blamed lower than expected supply of the AstraZeneca vaccine from India for a slowing of the UK's vaccination programme, especially delaying immunisation of the under 50s. Although 5 million doses of vaccines produced by the Serum Institute of India were dispatched from India to the UK on 5th of March. Another 5 million were due later this month, but they are reportedly being held back at the Indian government's request to direct these instead to India's domestic vaccination programme. A quick look at these 10 million doses sheds light on the inequalities faced by low- and middle-income countries in current COVID vaccine distribution efforts and the contradictory role of the UK. So the language is very measured and very academic, but I think it's fair to say they're not happy with what's going on and they dig into the story. Let's start by underscoring the key role played by the Serum Institute in global vaccine supply. India has one of the largest pharmaceutical industries in the world. In fact, many pharmaceutical products consumed in the UK are made in India and India is also the largest vaccine manufacturer in the world. The Serum Institute in Pune is the world's largest single vaccine producer by volume, annually providing more than 1.5 billion doses around the globe. And it plays a central role in AstraZeneca's global network for manufacturing and distributing the Oxford vaccine. The agreement between AstraZeneca and Serum Institute authorises the latter, the Serum Institute, to produce doses to supply India, to supply low- and middle-income countries around the globe directly, Serum Institute has even branded its own version of the vaccine, Covishield, and also to supply the Global Joint Procurement Scheme, COVAX, established by the WHO, to assure vaccines reach the poorest countries. Indian supply predominantly from the Serum Institute is central to COVAX's supply forecasts, which set a goal of supplying 2 billion doses by the end of 2021. But after a series of ministerial visits, the UK secured ten million doses from the Serum Institute, of which five million doses were received and are already being administered, and five million doses have been delayed for now. So, the UK gets in there, supports this work of the Serum Institute, and then suddenly says, "Oh, hold on a minute, we want some doses." Gets five million, and then the, and then the Indian government says, "Hold on a minute, stop that. We're gonna we're gonna stop those from now," and that has been a cue for more visits. Yeah, this was triggered by a bunch of ministerial visits from the UK. More visits going now saying, no, we need those vaccines. So the big message of Rory and Ken is the fact that the UK is procuring vaccines from India at all demonstrates the country's fundamentally contradictory role in global COVID-19 vaccine allocation. The UK is among the largest funders of COVAX, and government officials have proclaimed the country's global leadership and interest in ensuring people in low- and middle-income countries get timely access to COVID-19 vaccines. However, resorting to procurement from India to help meet its stated domestic goal of offering a COVID-19 vaccine to all UK adults by the end of July 2021 runs directly counter to improving access to vaccines in low- and middle-income countries. It is a mathematical fact that allocation of vaccine to the UK reduces potential access in other countries. Vaccines are in scarce supply, and in the short term, allocation to one country removes potential access in another. So their conclusion? Countries that are best aiming to vaccinate the most at-risk 20% of their populations by the end of 2021, are losing some of their precious stock of vaccines so the UK can help achieve its goal of vaccinating all adults by July 2021. So basically, this is incoherence. People talk about policy coherence for development. This is policy incoherence. One part of the British government is saying is funding and supporting vaccines for need. And the other part is saying we want those vaccines for everybody in the UK, even those who are not actually at risk, because Of domestic politics and and, domestic drivers and those two are in direct competition and i thought that was a pretty powerful post and on that slightly depressing note i will leave you i will be back reinvigorated by my holiday bright-eyed bushy-tailed and optimistic in a couple of weeks bye everybody have a good easter